0: Welcome to Think Bible, the podcast that exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome to the Think Bible podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. And the Think Bible podcast exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I will tell you that I've had trouble finding a time and place to do this recording. Uh, So I'm currently sitting on my back porch of the Airbnb that we're um, staying in for just a short time you probably can hear wind chimes and dogs and maybe cars go by. <laughs> it's not exactly a quiet silent type place, but I'm doing my best. So, hopefully those things won't be too distracting and you can follow along with me as we study from God's word today. Um if you listen to last week's podcast, uh the topic was costly obedience. Then you heard a bit of testimony about the things our family is experiencing right now. So we're fine. Everything's good. God is taking care of us. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. It was called Costly Obedience. Um, but in in the longing that I have for a permanent home, a place to settle our family and stay put... Um, I've been meditating on different scriptures that remind us of our real home. And a lot of times when people ask my husband, do you have a home somewhere? He always says, our home's in heaven. (laughs) And, you know, he says that to kind of get a little bit of a laugh, but it's true. And he's being honest. Our home is in heaven. But even beyond that, our real home, it's not just the place that's streets of gold and gates of pearl and a mansion and all It's home because God is there. God himself is our home. Psalm 84 is becoming a precious treasure to me. Let me read it for you. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Than to dwell in the tents of wickedness for the lord god is a sun and shield the lord will give grace and glory no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly o lord of hosts blessed is the man that trusteth in thee isn't that a beautiful psalm charles spurgeon calls it the pearl of psalms Over the next few podcasts, I'd like to unpack this psalm with you. It has blessed and encouraged my heart, and I pray that it will do the same for you. Today we're going to just look at the first three verses. Matthew Henry believes this psalm to have been written by David on the occasion when Absalom betrayed him, and David had to depart from Jerusalem and and live really in exile for a time. David pined for his return back to Jerusalem, and Henry says, Not so much because it was the royal city, as because it was the holy city. So these few verses are the pious breathings of a gracious soul after communion, after God and communion with him. Spurgeon concurs that this hymn was written by David because of its rich language and beauty. He believed the song reflected upon the pilgrimages that the Hebrews would take up to Jerusalem three times a year for the feasts when they would celebrate God's goodness, provision, forgiveness, and faithful care for them. He says, no music could be too sweet for this psalm's theme or too exquisite in sound to match the beauty of its language. Not even the favored children of grace who are like the sons of Korah, can have a richer subject for song than Zion's sacred festivals. Whatever may be true of the circumstances surrounding its writing, it is a powerful psalm. The very first words of the song are notable. How amiable, it says. Many translations say, how lovely. And indeed, God's tabernacle was beautiful, rich with gold and tapestries of color and ornately detailed. But the word also means beloved. Every other time it is used in the Old Testament, it is speaking of a person. Benjamin, Jacob's youngest son, is called beloved of the Lord. Psalm 127 reminds us that God gives his beloved sleep. And twice God says he will deliver his beloved from their enemies. So the type of admiration, care, and attention that God gives to those he loves is what the psalmist is referring to in praise of the tabernacle. What exactly is a tabernacle but a dwelling? It's the meeting place of God and man. It's home for our souls. So it's not necessarily the location or the building, but rather the spiritual refreshment the instruction, conviction, encouragement, and the help we get from that place of fellowship with God. And ultimately, it's God himself. If David did write this poem, and he was indeed exiled from Jerusalem by Absalom, wouldn't he have longed to return home? And what we know about David is that he treasured his relationship with God, He would have yearned to get back into the worship and praise of his God and the public keeping of his ordinances. Again, Matthew Henry says, the want, or meaning the lack, of those ordinances is brought under a more sensible conviction than ever of the worth of them. In other words, you don't really appreciate something until it is taken away. And this writer was expressing his great love and appreciation for the worship in the tabernacle which he did not fully realize until he had to go without it. And that should be true of us today. Remember when COVID first hit and the world shut down nearly two years ago, many closed their churches for a short time to cooperate with the government recommendation that we all stay apart. But it didn't take very long for us to notice that shutting the church's doors was more detrimental than helpful. We need to sing praises to God, and to hear others sing them with us, too. We need corporate worship. We need the preaching and the praying and the fellowship of God's people. When that is taken away, true heart, Christian hearts recognize their deep need for it, just as the psalmist. When I was studying these words, I realized that the psalmist didn't just say, I want to go back to Jerusalem and the tabernacle, We use that word so flippantly. I want to take a vacation. I want to get my closet cleaned out. I want a piece of chocolate. We use it more like, that's something I'd like to do, or something I wish I could accomplish. But there isn't a lot of purpose or effort behind it. Yeah, those clean closets would be great, but I'm not really willing to change my schedule to make time for it. I don't want to lose any sleep over it. Nor am I willing to get up off the couch and do it if I have to give up my TV time or my game time on my phone or any other thing that would make it happen. No, this verse says the psalmist longed and fainted for the courts of the Lord. To long means to desire and yearn from the deep places of our soul. And desire actually means to finish and complete. So in other words, getting himself back into the worship and praise of God was the writer's very highest goal. It was his be-all and end-all of his purpose. It was the thing he most wanted in all of his life. And how did he come to have such a longing? By already spending time there in communion with the Lord. He knew the benefits he would get there. He knew his own heart's bent for sin, and he recognized the spiritual rest he got when he was in close fellowship with the Lord. Would you say that going to church is the greatest purpose of your life? Most of us would not. But what a rebuke this man's heart is to our wandering, faithless hearts. We often miss church for insignificant, trivial events. Perhaps we would be better off to commit ourselves to public worship while we may still do so freely. These verses also indicate that the psalmist longed not just for a worship service to fill up his empty soul so he could then go on about his regular business. No, he actually desired God, the living God, who was worshipped and glorified in those courts. The living God who convicted him, forgave him, blessed, encouraged, and met him in every situation of his life. He longed to have fellowship with God, so that God could continue to do his work in his heart. I've already just assumed in my talking that the words courts of the Lord indicate the tabernacle, the public worship place of Jehovah God. Remember the verse says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. But I'd like us to think for just a moment about the different types of courts in the scriptures. In general, a court is an enclosure, a settled abode, a village, or even a town. This definition reminds me that a court is a place of community and safety. Like in the Old Testament, these villages would have a wall erected around them to keep wild animals and, more likely, evil people out. It would have been a place where everyone knew everyone, as they often do in small towns. And I think we should all feel at home in our own church. We should count those fellow church members as family, treat one another as we would like to be treated. And then there was the tabernacle court. This reminds us of a place of worship and forgiveness. The sacrifices were offered to the Lord in repentance and in order to keep the commands of the law. Sins were forgiven and God was glorified. Third we have the temple's court as came into being during Solomon's reign and this would have been similar in purpose to the tabernacle's court of course if david wrote the psalm the temple had not yet been built but david carried the desire to build it we know that david had i'm sorry we know that god had david gather the materials for the temple but told him to let his son solomon do the actual work Yet we can trust that David wanted to elevate the worship of his God. Through the fine materials used, the permanency of the structure, and the solemnity and reverence that was shown in its building, the temple did that. People came from near and far to see the beauty of this temple. The worth that was shown to God there, or the worship, caused others to want to know him. And that's what our churches should do for the world today. We should raise God in their estimation and cause them to want to know him. Finally, in scripture, we see king's courts. The king's residence would have had an outer court where many people would come and go. But then it would also have had an inner court where only select people could come. Do you remember that story of Esther? When Haman had determined to massacre the Jewish people, she went in before the king with her requests. And where did she go? She actually took the risk of entering, uninvited, into his inner court. And she was his wife! So those who are in that special inner sanctum are those with a close, intimate relationship with the king those who had a specific reason to be there and were invited by the king. I believe that our relationship with God should mirror that picture. As we grow in our understanding and intimacy with God, he invites us into his inner court and reveals more of himself to us. Psalm sixty-five four says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house even of thy holy temple so we recognize that god chooses us to come into his inner court to know him closely and intimately he invites us into that fellowship with him psalm 92:13 says those that be planted in the house of the lord shall flourish in the courts of our god in his court, then, is a place of flourishing, of growth and increase. Other psalms tell us what we ought to bring as we come into the courts of the Lord. Psalm 96, 8. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Just as you wouldn't go to someone's house empty-handed, you bring a housewarming gift or a hostess gift, Well, don't go to the Lord's house empty-handed either. We ought to bring Him glory and an offering. An offering of what? Sometimes that would be our money, yes, but of ourselves, our time, our talents, um, our energies. Give unto the Lord what is due His name. And Psalm 104 says, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So, here's another list of sacrifices we can bring to the Lord thanksgiving, praise, and blessing. That's sometimes a big sacrifice, isn't it? To be thankful in the difficult things, to praise when we feel that our prayers are unanswered, to bless when we are struggling. Yet, It's what the Lord asks us to do in order to remain in that inner court of fellowship with Him. Then verse 3 of Psalm 84 says, Even the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. As one who has traveled and been without a house for quite a while... I'm just a little bit envious of those birds who find their place so easily. Then again, they are content with much less than I think I need. The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge says this, As nature inclines birds to seek and prepare their nests, so grace has taught me to desire thy altars and to worship there. What a precious picture! It's natural and instinctive for birds to build nests and lay their eggs there. But as a child of grace, it ought to be natural for us to desire fellowship with God, to commit our lives to His service, and to worship Him. How do we get back to that place of dwelling with God when we have strayed? Well, it's important to remember, we are the ones who have left, for He never leaves us. Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. If you are not in close fellowship with him today, that really has been your choice. And all it takes to return to that fellowship is one prayer of repentance. Ask God to forgive you for your wrong choices, thoughts, actions, words, whatever it may be, and determine to follow his ways. He doesn't hold a grudge or make you start over in your relationship with Him, if you're already His child. He simply forgives you and restores you right back where you left off. And if you've never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, do that today. Start your intimate relationship with Him. And how do we do that? We do that by believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who came to earth and lived a perfect life. And yet he died on the cross to pay the price for my sins and for your sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave on the third day, triumphant, victorious over death, sin, Satan, the world, our flesh, everything that keeps us away from God. All you must do is believe and receive him as your savior, and then you can begin your relationship with him. Psalm ninety one one also says, He that dwelleth in the secret place, which means the close, intimate place, of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Determine now to stay so close to God that you are, as it were, in his shadow. Did you ever have a child that followed you around the house all day? I did. I actually had five of them. <laughs> I expected it when they were babies and toddlers. They need mom's reassurance and comfort and presence. What I didn't expect is that it kind of repeats itself when they're in those in-between years, maybe 11, 12, thirteen. They followed me everywhere. Sometimes I couldn't move my arm or take a step without running into them. They wanted to be so close. While that's irritating for a human parent, it's really not for God. The closer we can get to him, the better. So stay in his word. Pray without ceasing. Be at every church service and function. The harder your days and your circumstances get, the harder we must press into God. Psalm 116 verse 7 says, Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Some of you are going through deep waters today. You may feel that God has abandoned you and is not dealing bountifully with you. But remember his past help. He has saved you from your sins, from the penalty of eternal separation with Him. from him. He's cleansed your heart and made you whole, and he's very likely helped you through other very difficult circumstances or situations in your life. Take time to remember those. Write a list and praise him for those deliverances today. Not only was the psalmist eager to be in the courts of the Lord, he was eager to bring his children there too. Note how he mentions the sparrow and the swallow have nests here where they may bring their young. Several commentators that I read agreed on this point. It is a privilege and a responsibility to bring our children with us to the Lord. That doesn't mean that if you're saved, your children are saved, but it means that we expose them to God. We teach them his words, immerse them in his commands, his promises, his servants. Tell them what God is to you, what he's done for you. Help them learn the gospel. Give them every opportunity to commit themselves to God. That's one of our most important responsibilities, to bring our children to God. Finally, at the end of verse 3, the psalmist calls God by three names. Lord of hosts, my king, and my God. You'll notice that this is the second time he uses Lord of hosts. It's also written in verse 1. So why would he choose that name? Why would it be more significant than any other name that God has in scripture? Matthew Henry proposes that David is referring to the angel hosts. Jehovah is the God of all the angels who attend him in heaven's courts day and night, singing praises to him. Perhaps the writer wants us to pattern our devotion and worship after the angels, so he refers to God in this way. Charles Spurgeon suggests that David would have been in exile in the midst of his small group of defenders. He put it this way, Probably David himself was with the host, or the army, and therefore he dwelt with emphasis upon the title which taught him that the Lord was in the tented field as well as within the holy curtains. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That although we ought to want to be in attendance whenever there is public worship of the Lord and teaching of His word, we don't have to fret if we can't be in church. The Lord is always with us, no matter where our bodies may be, in the tented field or within those holy curtains. Though David may have been in exile, he was not a rebel, and there are circumstances where that is true of us as well. If he could not be in God's house, he would remember and meditate upon his experiences there. Spurgeon says again, When we cannot occupy a seat in God's house, he shall have a seat in our memories, and a throne in our hearts the psalm writer also calls god my king and my god we see here that god is personal to him which supports the idea that he was within the inner court of fellowship with god spurgeon notes the double my is very precious he lays hold upon god with both his hands as one resolved not to let him go Till the favor requested be at length accorded. And it represents the belief that God had the double authority over his life, both as king and as God, to do whatever he wanted in that writer's life. If it was indeed David, God had the right to remove him from his throne, to exile him from his city, and to even keep him away from the tabernacle worship. God is the only sovereign of the psalmist's life, and he is your only sovereign as well. Don't chafe at the situation God has placed you in today, and I'm speaking to myself as much as to anyone. Trust him and submit to him. He will bring you through in his time and in his way. Well, that brings us through Psalm 84, verses 1 through 3. I don't know what may have stood out to you or pricked your heart, but I'd love to hear. Would you share it with me? Send me a message or an email or find me on social media at Think Bible and tell me what God's doing in your heart. We'll stop here for today and pick up next time with verse four. I pray that this short study will deepen your walk with the Lord and heighten your desire to worship him in beauty and in truth as he asks us to do. You've been listening to the Think Bible podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Please visit us at our website, www.thinkbible.online, to learn more about our ministry or to take advantage of the resources we have there for you. That's www.thinkbible.online. You can also find us at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the name Think Bible. Until next time, let's all think and live biblically for the glory of God.